You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. Super excited to dive into this past week's episode and talk about our highlights with Liz from Chief Mom Officer. And to help me with this, I have my co-host Brad here with me today. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Jonathan. I am doing quite well. Yeah, we had a great weekend over at Camp 5 Mid-Atlantic and yeah, just a really good time. I think there were what, somewhere in the upwards of 70 people there. You always wonder, like, is there like a max limit on how many people you could have in an event like this? And I'm sure there is, but I was amazed at how intimate a setting like that was 70 people three days over memorial weekend it was incredible yeah it really was a blast and and to your point yeah 70 sounds like a lot but i think i had a conversation with maybe everybody or pretty darn close certainly 60 upwards of 60 people and you know it was just fun we played a lot of games we played sports we hung out in the pool and just talked and and had a blast. And not to mention there were plenty of presentations as well. So there was certainly in-depth stuff. But, you know, for me, it's about just spending time with people. It's about community. And I thought it was a huge success. You know, as much as like me and you enjoy doing podcasting, we've started doing a little bit more public speaking. And and in particular for this audience, the people that were at Camp 5 Mid-Atlantic, there's this tiny little voice nagging in the back of my head that says, a large percentage of the people there have listened to you twice a week for the past year or so. What additional information could you possibly have to offer? <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I think we kind of found our lane and um, I really enjoyed giving that presentation with you. It was a lot of fun. It's kind of like a different setup, but it, w- it was a blast. Yeah, I agree. I think that's become something that I enjoy presenting much more than I ever could have fathomed. I mean, that was a huge, huge source of stress for me in my entire life. I mean, really for my entire life, just speaking in public. And it was almost to the point of being debilitating. But now, I mean, I I genuinely thrive on it. And it's amazing what you can learn. We talk about talent stack. What are these things that, that you may be good at or you may love? that you just simply don't know. And like, why not go out and learn skills and, and pick up new things? So just from like a personal growth perspective, presenting in public has become something that I, I really genuinely enjoy. You know, one thing about the last couple of weeks and frankly, the entire month of June for both of us is that it's kind of a busy month. And as family guys at our heart, you know, it's, it's sometimes a little bit difficult to be away from your kids. I basically carved out Monday as a complete just family day, right? Which is really amazing that we could just have this full day just to spend with them. And what's interesting about that is that uh, my wife and I, with our son, we have tried partially for our own sanity to uh, enforce like a 7 p.m. bedtime, right? That's just what we have gotten used to. And we just recently moved him out of a crib and into a toddler bed, which gives him a lot more autonomy baked in. Fortunately, he hasn't realized that yet. And he's still like somehow he does mostly follow the rules that he needs to stay in his bed after this period of time. But he's figured out that he doesn't necessarily have to go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) So we're downstairs and I hear like this one or two steps, like someone has just gotten out of bed and I was like, oh, got to go upstairs to see what's going on. So I go and I open the door 
And by the time I get up there, he is already back in bed, but he has like two books that he's grabbed. And like a part of me just like lights up with joy. He, with his free time and his rebellion, just wants to read books. Like you just, <laughs> you can't really be upset at that. So I just smile, like close the door and I go back downstairs. I wake up uh, this morning and go check on him. And he has seven books surrounding him as he sleeps. Like he's still passed out. He is just surrounded by books. I don't think I could have been more proud in a single moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's super cool. And we talk about choose the five friends of the library, right? Like, are these library books, I'm assuming? Yeah, like three of them actually were. And it's like, it, it's one of those things that I think he is on pace to read more books this year than I am. And I'm like, challenge accepted. (laughs) (laughs) But love of learning, right? And if you could start at an early age and like, why would you just go and you buy a new book every single time when you have a library that is curating them for you on demand? And like a kid after a couple of pass-throughs, they're tired of that book. They want something new, right? This, a library is amazing for this. So yeah, that's kind of built into our, our weekly schedule. We could go swap them out, get some new ones. Everything's fresh. Yeah, that's cool. And actually at Camp 5 this weekend, I was talking to John and Amy and they were saying almost the exact same thing about the library, not only for them, but for their kids. And I mean, they see, I think they said they save, I don't know, something like $4,000 a year or something absolutely absurd. And it, it was hilarious. John was was saying this story where he actually forgot that libraries existed. This was like before, it, it sounds preposterous, but like before he found Fi and and this podcast where we talk about libraries so often, he literally had this conversation with Amy where he's, oh, I I just need to read one chapter of this book. I wish there was a place I could just borrow the book for a short time and then just like give it back. <laughs> Have you heard and of a like, library? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, those places do exist. So, but I mean, now to see them come full circle and like. They have have young kids. They take tons and tons of books out from the library. And it's similar to our family. I think they each of our accounts has a 50 book limit. I mean, we bump up on that limit pretty darn often. It's it's hilarious. But, you know, love of learning, like you said, actually, uh, Ed from our team, who's who's been on talking about travel rewards and Michelle, they were here visiting us in Richmond. And uh, Michelle was talking about these incredible books on presidents that she has. She actually mailed them to us from Seattle. And, you know, it's one of those things like I didn't know, honestly, if my kids were going to read them, but Molly loves them. I mean, she reads them every single night. She was literally, I kid you not, reading a book on William McKinley the other night and was regaling me. The next morning, she remembered, I mean, it's somewhat morbid, but the dates he was shot. I mean, I didn't even know William McKinley was one of our presidents who was assassinated. (laughs) Molly remembered this a day or two later. And this morning she was reading about, I think, Warren G. Harding. I mean, she's going through reading books about all these presidents. And it's just, it's cool to see her light up reading these things and learning new things. So yeah, absolutely. Obviously love books and the library. It's maybe the single best life hack that exists. Awesome. Well, speaking of learning new things, let's talk about this past week's episode, Breaking the Glass Ceiling. And I think with this past week's episode, what I want to talk about is focused work ethic. And this is something that Liz addressed. She basically was saying that doing a good job is a baseline for career growth, but it's not sufficient by itself. It needs to be directionally accurate. So for instance, in her case, answering calls and doing a good job on the phones is a minimum bar. You have to do that. But she didn't want to be the very best call person. That wasn't the goal. Rather, it was to leverage, hey, I am a performer with 
how can I leverage that goodwill to gain experience in other areas that will get me access? I think that um, many of us think that the, the objective should just be to be the fastest widget maker, right? If I can just do this a little bit faster, then X will happen. And, and I think that is a huge mistake over the long term. Yeah, if you're the fastest widget maker, they're going to probably keep you making widgets. You have not shown an aptitude or, or an interest in learning anything else. But to Liz's point, she was in this call center, but she went up volunteering for everything she could that, that really interested her. It was a function of, of networking, but it really was a function of increasing your skills and increasing the odds of success. She got her IT job because she volunteered for a project just to get her out of the call center for a little bit. And those people liked her and saw how she jumped into this project. And they told her about this opening for a business analyst position. She went and got that job. You know, you make your own luck in life. She could have just stayed in her lane. It's so easy, Jonathan, to stay in your lane, right? Like get to be the best call center person. Okay, there's something about that. But man, if you want to learn new skills, go outside that. Learn new things, volunteer. There are just so many ways to increase the odds of success. And I really thought that was interesting. And Liz actually referenced when she was looking at stories of individuals who had started in the mailroom or let's just call it retail, started at the cash register and now they're CEOs of companies. I guarantee you that that path was not the sole result of them being faster on the cash register or never making a mistake on the cash register or you know, insert your own particular situation here. What allowed them to pivot out wasn't linear. It was them using their opportunity and the fact that they brought great work ethic to that particular space to give them an upper to opportunities in other areas. And one thing that I was like dialing in on with Liz was that first pivot that she made. So one, she got more education. That was a big part of it. She leveraged the fact that she was working for a large corporation. She took advantage of company reimbursement to give her those opportunities. She volunteered whenever possible, as, as you were just mentioning, Brad, and then she applied for the job. And to be honest, you know, objectively, she got taken advantage of when she got accepted. She was making less than everyone else. You know, you could say, oh, well, wow, well, that's not good. But on the other end, and this is kind of what I was pushing back just a little bit was it was almost worth it, wasn't it? Even though it wasn't like ideal what it did is it gave her that necessary work experience. She could always renegotiate once she had that new role. Once she had that new role and she was doing a great job in that new role, now she's no longer someone that just has experience in a call center. Now she's someone that has experience in IT and on the floor. She's someone that has those interpersonal dynamics working for her. She has a network and now she has a degree in accounting on top of that. Like you can see how her skill set blossomed and her attractiveness to future employers continues to grow. And it's it's not linear. Oh, this job always demands this. Well, maybe, but you know what? What's more valuable right there for her was quite literally being able to expand her talent stack to both that employer down the road or a future employer. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think you try to find like things you're interested in. And it sounded like Liz found that, right? Like she talked about spending her lunch breaks, reading Harvard Business School case studies just for fun. I can't imagine there are that many people making 35,000, right? At that point, she was in IT. So she got the bump up from call center to IT, making 35K in an IT job, sitting there reading Harvard Business School case studies just for fun. 
I Maybe feel like, like I would have been watching like Game of Thrones spoilers. Like, I, I don't know. Have you ever read a Harvard Business Review <laughs> case study? Just, just out of curiosity, is this like I, a light, easy read? No, I think I'm more <laughs> on the YouTube side with you. But no, it is, it is not a light, easy read at all. But I mean, they're supposed to be phenomenal. And I've heard many people talk about them over the years. But I have not gotten up the, the I don't know, courage or strength or whatever you want to call it to to spend my time doing that. But Liz did, right? And then that led her to getting this MBA and her next job because she wound up studying these items in international technology. What a neat thing. You just never know where life is going to lead you. And she said, try to learn as much as you can about your job, your industry, your project, the company you work for, all these things. It just, it increases the odds of success. That was what I see here is she's doing all of these things. She's going to Toastmaster, just these little things, these networking and learning new skills. This all gives you a broader range of skills and knowledge of what's even out there because it's so easy to stay in your lane. I know I did this. I wasn't sitting there at my job when I had downtime learning new skills or reading Harvard Business School reviews or I don't know, getting new certifications. I was doing none of that. I was wasting my time. I'm just always impressed when we find these people, and we've had a bunch of them on the podcast who have gone that extra mile. Hopefully, for many people, like if I was still in a in my day job, I would hopefully hear those stories and say like, wow, look at how that has impacted their lives. Maybe I should start doing that. So it's okay that I've wasted this time. I can't get that back. I can't cry about it. But how can I move forward and take this lesson that someone else has done so successfully and put that into my life? And Liz had this phenomenal quote in the episode. She said, to reach six figures, for most of us, it's going to take a lot of work, a lot of time, some level of luck, and being positioned in order to take advantage of those lucky breaks that we're going to get. And all of that takes time. But Liz was looking for people to pattern this behavior. And it was difficult because the internet was still kind of early on. It wasn't quite as easy to share stories and find people in your area to do that increasingly not only do we here at Choose If I have a platform, but there are so many people that are sharing their story if you have the time, the space, the bandwidth to actually look for it. And Brad, that's why I think it's important to really continue to circle back uh, to these types of conversation and highlights people that have done it in different spaces, right? I mean, we've talked about nursing, we've talked about coding, we've talked about pharmacists, right? And doctors and lawyers and people in the trades. If we can continue to find people that have done it in different ways, I think as you put it all together, it's going to bring so much value to our community. And actually later in this episode, we're going to be speaking with John, who I think can add some additional flavor to this conversation. So Brad, what I thought we could do next is actually take just a minute and make a pretty cool announcement. And it's something that I know us, we've been putting a lot of work into. And and I say us, I'm kind of riding your coattails on this. You and Ed have been leaning into this in a big way. And I think you've created something really valuable for the universe. Jonathan, Travel Rewards has really become a pillar of what we talk about here at Chooseify. We think it is one of the best ways to really travel and see the world and experience the world for just a fraction of what you'd pay for retail. And we've had a ton of people ask questions about Travel Rewards over the last two and a half years. And actually, especially since we brought Ed on very recently, we had hundreds of questions in like the Ask Ed segment in the Facebook group. And we had a webinar and we just realized this is something our audience is just crying out for. Ed spent probably hundreds of hours creating a travel rewards course for the financial independence community and for the Choose of I community. 
we are extremely excited to announce that this thing is live now. So you can go to choosefi.com forward slash travel and sign up for it. It's an 18 part course, just incredibly detailed, but succinct at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. So like with Ed, can you, I mean, this is a guy that's like Brad squared when it comes to the amount of detail and research he puts in. I mean, hundreds, probably thousands of hours of travel nerdery. He's distilled it down into 18 super concise, easy to read lessons. And the, what I love about this, like I love the pivot that he made on this, that it's not just about credit cards, right? And some simple travel redemptions. It's like the actionable stuff, getting into saving money on car rentals, minimizing wait times at the airport, getting free food and drinks at airport lounges, budget alternatives to hotels. What Ed did, right? This is the key to this, right? Sure, you can write it, but then will it make sense to somebody else? Ed's daughter, Ashley, reviewed the course for readability and has personally gotten quite adept at the techniques that he has talked about. So her feedback was, yeah, you did a good job on this, dad. Normally, you're just, you don't slow down enough for people to understand what the heck you're talking about. But with this, you did it right. So what we're hoping to do is first just start the conversation, read through this, see if this answers your questions, and then use this as a platform to continue to build out. So it's not just, again, it's not just credit cards, but it's rather as a community that has created space and bandwidth in our lives and is leveraging that to actually see the world. Believe it or not, the world extends past your zip code. What does it mean when you take advantage of that bandwidth and then you share what those experiences meant for your family and for the community? I think there is a lot here. Yeah, agreed, Jonathan. It is truly about traveling well and doing this right, experiencing the world, experiencing this travel in the best manner possible. And I think what we've always talked about is, is crowdsourcing. And I suspect this course is going to be updated all along the way as we get more tips on the actual travel. That's the beautiful thing about Chooseify is we have hundreds of thousands of people in this community and we can truly crowdsource all of these little tips, because to your point, while the credit cards and the travel rewards redemptions, that's an important part. It's only a fraction in the grand scheme of how do you travel well? I'm super, super excited about this. And again, it's at chooseify.com forward slash travel. So what I thought we could do with this next segment, spend a little bit more time on this idea. What does it mean to work hard? And in particular, focused work ethic. What does that mean? Because it's not just answer more calls, take calls more quickly. Rather, it's have a plan. We, I think we have the perfect opportunity here. We're going to be speaking with John, who's actually the admin of our local Philadelphia group. He's been someone that has been advocating this for this community for several years. And most recently with the Kickstarter campaign, uh, really went to bat to help support that documentary and also writes over how to fire.com. He has this incredible article on his very strategic plan that allowed him to make six figures by the age of 24. And the secret was not that he went to Harvard or Yale. It wasn't that he had a 4.0 GPA. It wasn't these things that maybe would seem out of reach for certain individuals, but rather it was, frankly, it was work ethic with intent. And so with that, John, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me. So to set the stage here, John, this is like present for you, right? You, I believe, are still 24 years old. Yep, that's correct. And you're making six figures or even maybe a little bit over 100K at this point. And you're not a doctor. You're not a lawyer. You didn't have a 4.5 GPA or go to Harvard or Yale. That's not the case here, right? No, that's, that's definitely not the case. Um, my GPA was actually a 3.1. Awesome. Okay. Not awesome. Not awesome, but <laughs> All right. okay. So for the sake of this episode, uh, that is, that is awesome that your GPA wasn't a 4.0, because I do think there is this mindset that, you know, if I don't hit that 
upper that upper 20%, that upper 10%, that upper 5% of the class, then I can write off whatever. And it, it sounds to me like your secret ingredient, what comes through in this article that you wrote was that it, it was work ethic. And I'd love for you to kind of rewind a little bit and explain what that, what that means practically. <laughs> a deep question. Yeah. So setting the stage back in 2014, I was actually making less than 20,000. I was working in a retail job, making 1180 an hour, and then just gradually over the years have increased all the way up to uh, a little over a hundred thousand now. Hey John, so I'm just doing the math here. So 2014, you must've been 19 years old. As I see it on your article, you made 17,000 and change at 19 years old. So like that in and of itself is something remarkable. I know personally, and maybe this says a little too little about me, but I didn't have a job at 19. I was a full-time college student, but obviously backing into the numbers here, if you're making 11, eight an hour and you're making 17 plus thousand dollars that year, you're working a whole heck of a lot of hours and going to college. Talk me through how you have the work ethic to do that. What was the background on getting that job and working so many hours as a 19 year old? I actually kind of think this might be better to preface on how we discovered the personal finance community and what made us get there and, and kind of our own backstory. So sophomore year of college, my wife and I at the time uh, had just gotten engaged and we were, were looking at options to allow us to move in together. And we were like, all right, well, how do we make this work? And more importantly, how much does it cost? Are we going to be able to make ends meet? Like looking at all of the actual numbers to see, is this even possible? We did a basic budget, figured out that, hey, we can probably make this work. Don't know how well it's going to be able to happen, but we'd be able to make ends meet. But I'm not sure how much is going to be left over. That was kind of the ignorant part on our, on our doings. Fast forward six months. It's now the beginning of junior year. Uh, we kind of stumbled upon Dave Ramsey and... At the time, we were definitely living paycheck to paycheck, not really sure how to cover everything. And working so much was kind of out of necessity. So was your fiance at the time, was she working as well? Were you guys both going to college full time and essentially working full time? Yeah, we were actually working for the same company by that point. Uh, and we were working crazy hours. So my parents, thankfully, were able to help pay for most of my schooling. My wife, on the other hand, had very little support from her parents and she did have to take out quite a bit of student loans. I guess the drive for us as far as how much we were working was just being able to live. Like this wasn't even focused on being able to cash flow any tuition. This was just, I have a car, she had a car payment, you know, how do we afford the apartment and food and insurance and everything else that, that comes along with that. Yeah, absolutely. And so you're working this first job, but I believe you also picked up a second job as well. So like with the, the two combined, you're now working 50 plus hours a week and going to school full time in order to pull this off. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a crazy time in our lives. You're not afraid of hard work that comes through very, very clearly. Uh, and, and actually amazing when you put 50 plus hours, like the fact that you were still able to get a 3.1 GPA, like with those two together, it's wow, this is someone that can grind this out. Now, I'm curious because, you know, there's a pretty big gap between 20K and 100K. What were some of these smaller inflection points, you know, that get us there? Because you're actually in college right now. You're doing what you can. You said you were working in retail. What was your next job after this? So after I realized that 
we weren't making enough money to have ends meet. I did pick up that second job and I did that for a couple of months before he offered me the opportunity to quit my other job. That job was online retail. Now, online retail, is this the job you ended up keeping throughout college? Uh, It is actually. So that job, when I started, we were actually in his basement with just a few other people. And by the time I had graduated college, uh, we had about a dozen employees. So John, online retail, is this like a drop shipping company, like out of this guy's house or what are we talking about? Initially, it was in his house. We exploded its growth and ended up obviously getting a warehouse. The business itself was partially drop shipping. We were doing stuff on on Amazon, on eBay, Walmart, uh, things like that. That's really cool. And you said he gave you the opportunity to go just with him. Were you an ultra high performer at this company? I guess, were you one of these first employees that helped it grow so significantly? Just talk me through that. Yeah. So I definitely had the opportunity to come in to something that was, I wouldn't say it was just starting up, but uh, it had a lot of uh, potential for growth. And with that, I basically found how to help scale the business basically. And he really saw what I was doing as all positive things. And I uh, very quickly realized my potential and offered me the opportunity to come on board full time. Have you reflected on what those things were? I mean, you effectively, in his mind, went from being a cost center to a profit center, right? You're bringing, you're adding so much value to his small business. It's growing exponentially. What did you do? So one of the first things I did was I, I optimized how he was shipping products. <laughs> we had a very inefficient way of shipping things. And when you're shipping a few hundred things a day, uh, anywhere you could save a couple of minutes per order, huge time savings. Obviously, that just compounds over over you know a hundred orders or whatever. That's cool. So you said he saw your potential, and obviously you're growing on the job. But at this point, you're 20 years old. You had just been working in retail. Did you see your own potential, or was this really like an awakening moment for you when you got in this job and you had the autonomy to be able to make these decisions? I definitely could see the amount of money that I was directly earning for him, like being able to look at the numbers and see, okay, you know, every time I find this cost saving thing, it translates to this much savings. And while you were there, we talked about how his business grew out of his house into a warehouse. When you looked at the actual profitability of the business, I mean, did the business as a whole become more profitable? Not only did the business become more profitable because we were able to sell more things, we were kind of throttled actually on the number of people we had initially. And then obviously we, we realized, hey, we're, we're blowing up. We need more people. Uh, we started hiring more people. More bandwidth meant being able to make more money basically. And you said we, so it sounds like you are essentially acting at the C level. So you are making some of these decisions. You are helping him expand his business, really taking a entrepreneurial role in this business. Am I right about that? Yeah, within, I would say three or four months, I definitely was seen as a leader among my peers. And he did officially, you know, name me a manager after we moved to the warehouse and you know, we got the key and everything. And did that come with an increase in pay? So it, it did come with a little bit of an increase in pay. I did ask for uh, a little bump in pay. So in 2015, I was making a little over $40,000 a year. So, but you're still in college. I mean, this is still a side gig. You've got something that you're focused on. It's starting to increase the space, but I mean, I don't, were you going to like in college? Was this, was there alignment here? Was this what you wanted to do post-college? I mean, it sounds like you probably could have created a path here, right? 
my wife and I were definitely really passionate about his business, especially since we kind of saw it grow from nothing. I didn't exactly see myself staying there long term, but it was definitely something we really had a lot of fun with while we were in college. John, with not seeing yourself staying there long term, were there reasons for that? I guess, like, were you looking for bigger challenges? Did you think that the business model maybe was unsustainable or something? Talk me through that decision, because you're on the ground floor. Obviously, it sounds like you're one of the most important employees at this really thriving company. What made you look elsewhere, I guess? I think the, the biggest reason for me looking elsewhere was it didn't align with my educational background as far as what I was going to school for at the time. I had to imagine that your your boss at this job that you're working is like watching you get closer to graduation and starting to like get a little nervous that someone that has helped him 10x plus his business is like eventually going to be finding a job that does have the alignment that you're talking about. And I'm curious, when you graduated school, <laughs> I, I don't think you're doing this job now. So tell us a little bit more about how that played out. One of the things that I did middle of my senior year was I did start applying to other jobs and I looked at what was out there. When I told him, it was right after Christmas, actually, that I had found out that I would be taking on another position. So basically this other position was, like you said, more aligned with your, with your college major. Like what type of job was that? Uh, it was actually for a software engineering position. Okay. Gotcha. And, and like what type of rough annual salary was that? Uh, high sixties. High sixties. Okay. And that's a salaried position. And where were you like at that point, roughly annualized with this online retailing? What would you have made in a year staying at the job? So it's difficult to compare apples to oranges in, in, in this example. So I was working seven days a week, usually working sometimes a hundred hours a week. So to compare that job with a, you know, I'm going to work 40 hours a week at a salaried position. They're really two different beasts. No, that, okay. That makes perfect, perfect sense. So, so anyway, you get this job offer. It's spring last semester of your senior year, making potentially 60K. Do you accept that offer? Do you talk to the owner of this online retailer first? Or what does that conversation look like? I had made the decision that I would be leaving the company on my own terms. I actually didn't talk to him about it prior to accepting once I did tell him that was my you know, end decision, that I would be leaving come the end of the school year, uh, he was heartbroken, I would say. Um, he, I don't think he expected me to be telling him that so early in the year. And what did he do in response to that, you telling him? Uh, he very quickly offered me $100,000 to uh, change my mind and stick with him. Whoa. So you're making 40 or 50K. <laughs> you walk away to go work in your chosen profession, which you know is probably going to make somewhere in the 60s. And your boss's response is, oh, by the way, I think you're actually worth upwards of 100000 Let me pay you this. <laughs> oh, my God. And John, you're, you're in college at this point. And this guy's throwing 100K at you, right? Like that's how much value you're bringing to the company? Yeah, I, I was definitely bringing a lot of value into the company. That's amazing. So, you know, again, you said apples to oranges, but is it getting closer to apples to apples or for that hundred K did he expect 90 to hundred hour work weeks? I think there was an expectation that I would be working at least six days a week. The hours were really just whatever was necessary to make, you know, the business run successfully. And what did you do? I mean, he offers you hundred K he gives you this offer. I mean, that that's pretty, I would imagine that's pretty compelling. Like, did you say yes? Like, tell us a little bit more here. So I actually told him, uh, I need a few days to think it over. 
I had to you know, step back and, and really compare the two things and see, you know, what would my life look like in a year, three years, five years from now in both of those positions and kind of think about the, the long-term impacts of, of both of those roles. And what, did, what conclusion did you come to? So since he was a, a startup, there, there really wasn't any uh, benefits or medical coverage offered. So I had to keep that in mind when comparing the two. So I would have the additional costs of having to get my own health insurance. There wasn't a 401k set up or anything like that. So I wouldn't be getting an employer match. Um, whereas with my, the other company that I'd accept the position with, obviously I'd be getting paid time off. I wouldn't be killing myself working so many hours every week. There was a nice 401k match. I'd have health insurance, all that good stuff. Then I, I looked at, you know, long-term, like what does that job growth look like over the next one, three, five years or whatever, and see what ultimately would that put me on a path for over the next several years. Yeah, that's a really interesting analysis. Let's put the hours aside for a minute, even though that's a huge aspect of this. You're going to potentially make high 60s, I think you said, at the software engineer job, plus a 401k match, plus healthcare. I mean, that's probably getting you closer to 80k, right? Somewhere in total compensation package. And if you're at 100k, just gross, but then you have to take off essentially the health insurance you're probably down to 90. So we're talking the apples to apples is probably closer to 80 to 90. And you're talking a 40 hour work week versus whatever it takes, which is a little bit scarily nebulous, right? Like 90 to hundred hours. So that's a really interesting way to look at it. I love that. And I know you ended up going with the software engineer company. And so, but then that kind of sets up an interesting contrast in your mind. And I'm putting this in your head. I mean, I know I would probably feel this way to some varying degree, even though it's apples to oranges, you've, you've walked away from a 100K offer and you've accepted a 60K offer there. And despite the benefits that you logically just mentioned, there's a gap. Like So so bridging that gap for, for this conversation today, you're a guy with incredible work ethic. You're a guy that looks for how to add value to a company. I'm curious, when you're starting with this new company, the software engineer company, a totally different business model, what, what did you do to demonstrate added value to that company? So it's definitely a reality check to uh, go from from working at all hours of the day to only working 40. Um, as far as adding value, um, I knew that I want to take full advantage of everything that the company had to offer. So soon after starting, uh, about a year after, I did begin uh, my master's program. And th- there was another added benefit of, of going with, with them was they had tuition assistance. Nice. So tuition assistance, that's where the company basically gives you like a, a grant, right? It, it, this is free, free income essentially to, to pay for somewhere around 5,000 bucks a year. Is that, is that roughly what you got? I actually received about 10,000 oh, wow. a year. Wow. That's amazing. So if you're in a so master's just, program, that's like close to 90% of the cost, right? Yeah. It's, um, about 90%. And are there any contingents on that? Like you have to get a certain GPA or a certain grade, anything else? Yeah, I have to just get a B in order to uh, continue getting reimbursed for my classes. And if you were able to work 100 hours a week and get a 3.1, I think when you're down to 40, you'll probably be able to pull this off. (laughs) 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 So places, 2017, did you get any raises along the way in that first year at work? Like anything else happened there that really helped you set apart? Um, so within the first year, uh, I did receive a salary adjustment based on just market demand that brought me up to about 80,000. 
So tell us about mentoring interns. I know that's something you worked on in your first year with this company. How did you get into that? And were there any unexpected benefits of doing that? Uh, so I began mentoring interns uh, the summer after I had started. So this would be the summer of 2017. And that actually allowed me to help them with their, their job offers come the end of the summer. And um, that was actually what allowed me to realize that they would be starting at a significantly higher pay than I was currently making. Uh, so I had to begin asking questions of uh, why is my salary lower than, than what theirs is going to be uh, in the next year. I'm genuinely curious about that question. Like, why was that the case? Uh, so with market demand just changing, it brought up the, you know, the, the pay bands for each employee that was starting out. Uh, and it was actually that same year in my next uh, rotation of of yearly increases that I received another increase. So did the company just give you that increase or did you have to ask for it? I had actually asked about why there was a difference and I was told there's nothing we can do right now. Uh, be patient. We're, you know, we're analyzing what the pay bands look like. And then just a few short months later, I did get an adjustment. Is that the only time in your career that that sort of adjustment has happened? And if so, or if not, has it always been because you prompted? Just give us a little more flavor there. So I've always poked and pried at figuring out how uh, the pay works uh, and seeing how I, I stand amongst my peers of similar uh, acumen and uh, time with the company and all that. And that's actually not the first time that I received an increase uh, similar to that. I actually got one last year the same way. All right. So mentoring interns has been one of the most financially valuable things that you have done <laughs> for the very reason that it gives you insight into company pay transparency. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's super cool though. John, like, are there other ways? Like, do you use Glassdoor? Do you use any other, any other tools? Like, do you talk to people in other companies or is it really just only applicable to your own company? I think it's difficult to use Glassdoor and, and salary.com as the the only way that you get this information. I think it, it can be a little off sometimes, and, and I've oftentimes found that it's lagging behind a year or two, just based on, you know, it looks at the averages and what people are responding with. It doesn't actually take into consideration, like, that your company is unique. So if you've gone through a couple iterations of this pay transparency, followed by the adjustment of the pay bands, followed by, hey, I think I'll mentor the interns again next year. <laughs> you know, we're getting pretty close to present day. What would you value your total compensation at now with this company? Total compensation now, and if you were including all the benefits and the tuition assistance that I get, it's well over 130000 a year. Wow. That is amazing. Congratulations, man. And John, you're... You're 24 years old. I mean, that that is amazing. And not to mention, we're talking about this on Choose a Five, right? So like, obviously you're on the path to financial independence. Can you talk me through where you guys are? You and your wife now, you're both graduated from college. You're making a boatload of money. Is she working at, like, where is she working? Where where are you guys on your path to five? Uh, she is working for a financial institute. And as far as where we are on our path to five, I would still say we're in the early stages We've been married for three years now, but my, my wife graduated a year after me. So she's only been at this position now for a little over a year. And have you guys done any tracking of your savings rate? Do you feel like you have like a plan for your financial future? Do you have any goals, either written or unwritten at this point that you'd care to share with our audience? Yeah, so we're, we're right around the 50% savings rate right now. It's difficult to balance between saving for the future and saving for things that we need right now. 
it's something we've drastically increased every year uh, as far as our savings rate is concerned. Yeah, absolutely. And and your work ethic comes through. I mean, it sounds like even now you're pretty comfortable with 40 plus hour work weeks, 50, 60 plus hour work weeks. When you think about it, cause you could obviously just work less, right? You could just work less. What is your mindset as you go in and you opt in to pull extra shifts to work extra hours? Like what is your thought process on that? Uh, so I'm a big fan of what Doc G said in his mini series, Front Load the Sacrifice. We definitely are working a lot more than we need to, but we definitely see our hard work as something that is going to pay off in the long run. And you're very analytical, like I can tell, and it looks like you do your research on this stuff. So one thing that came to mind is like, it seems like you chose a company, and I, but I didn't really hear you talking about how you you know, you applied to hundreds of company and this is the one that accepted you. Was there anything there with how you selected this job? I didn't want to move far away from, from where we live now. Both of our parents with, live within the area. We grew up here. Um, so I started by looking at all of the opportunities that are within, you know, commutable distance of where we live now and seeing what did that mean as far as potential companies I could work for. And then doing some research to see, like, what does the job growth look like in those companies? How do I see where I would be at in, you know, five or 10 years from now? And then more importantly, talking to friends and other people who graduated a year ahead of me and seeing where they ended up and do they like it there? How is their compensation? And and really just kind of getting a feel for everything that's in the market. And I actually did only end up applying to one company. So, John, you're talking, obviously, like, five, 10 plus years down the road. And, and I love that thought process, the, the long-term vision. I'm just doing the math here, right? Like you said, your total compensation is 130. Your wife obviously has a job. And I mean, you guys have to be making a, a good bit of money. And, and it seems like it keeps on going up. You guys are 24 years old and your savings rate is 50% on a nice, healthy salary. Are you going to still be working 10 years from now? Or are you going to be at five? Like, I mean, are you going to be at the 30-year-old financially independent guy? Like, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? So 10 years from now, I I will will definitely still be working. Whether or not it'll be with the same company may be a different question. I am expecting us to reach FatFi. I I don't think I'll be comfortable retiring in my 30s with a a 4% withdrawal rate. And another question for you, like, someone looks at your story and and people look for people that are just like one or two steps ahead of them. And they look for like characteristics in the individual they can model themselves after. And, and, and in your case, what I hear is someone that doesn't mind putting in the work, doesn't wants to work hard. And then on top of that, doesn't have this highly polished GPA. That's like the guiding light for every choice that they make over their twenties and thirties. There's a lot of people that say, yes, I've been waiting for this. If you're giving feedback to individuals that are following in your footsteps, how can other people do the same? How can other people get you know similar results to what you have gotten over the past five or six years? So I think people can start by looking at their current situation. Uh, are you maximizing your job growth potential? And if you're if you're not, is there somewhere else you could be applying to to get a higher paying job? Maybe you don't have the opportunity to jump to another position, but if you have the opportunity to work overtime or pick up a second job, consider starting a side hustle. I would start by doing a ton of research too to see what your coworkers are making and, and, and also talk to them. Get on Glassdoor, Payscale, Salary.com and, and see if you're being paid what you should be. Uh, knowing what salary potentials are out there for, for people with similar skill sets in the field that you're in is something that allows you to put yourself in a position to ask for more. You'll, you'll begin to understand what your, your worth is. Yeah, and I mean, that comes down to 
don't be afraid to ask for a raise, right? No, absolutely. And, and understand that you can't just go in there and say, oh, I need a raise. You need to be able to walk in there and, and, and explain why, uh, demonstrate how you're adding value to the company. Maybe there is data that you can bring to that conversation to say, hey, look, here's, here's what other people are making with the same skill set at other companies. It's crazy, man. I just cannot believe you have gotten multiple double digit raises consecutively in your first three years out of college, leading you to be the age of 24 with a compensation package of 130K. It's insane. And can you imagine like a decade from now what that looks like as you continue to model this behavior and look for and you implement these types of strategies? It's it's really, really impressive. So John, thank you so much. Uh, people listening to this, they want to find out more about your journey, more about just your path to achieve this level of compensation in your field. What is the best way for someone to connect with you and connect with your content? Yeah, so you can check out our blog, howtofire.com. We're on all social media platforms at How to Fire. And also just, we already stated this earlier, but you're also the admin of our Chooseify local Philadelphia group. And you have been mentoring interns for years. So I would imagine that if someone had a question for you, you would be a pretty awesome person to talk to about this career growth hacking. Yeah, absolutely. Feel free to reach out to me. John, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you guys for having me. All right, guys. Well, unfortunately, that's going to bring this episode to a close. Now, as you know, we like to finish every episode by doing a drawing for a copy of a book that we have found useful. There's three books that we offer. The first is J.L. Collins' book, The Simple Path to Wealth. The second is Dominic Cortuccio's book, Design Your Future. And the third book from Vincent Puglisi, Freelance to Freedom. If you want to enter the drawing, all you need to do is just go to chooseify.com slash iTunes, follow the instructions there, leave us a short written review, send us an email to feedback at chooseify.com, letting us know that you left a review and what screen name you left it under. We give away one book for every five written reviews that we get, and we announce a winner on the Friday Roundup. Brad, how many winners do we have today? All right, Jonathan, we have one winner today, and the winner is Sean. Sean left this on Stitcher. He called it the best show on personal finance anywhere. After listening to 40 plus episodes, I've seen the freeing potential of intentional spending and of challenging the social norms most of us abide by. Financial independence before your 50s, even for an 18 year old like myself, seemed like a pipe dream that wasn't worth the effort. But Brad and Jonathan make it clear with a full belly and everything a person truly needs to live comfortably that anyone with the right mindset can dictate how they spend the hours in their day and live without fear of destitution or mundanity. The tools are here, the people are here, and after hearing out, financial independence isn't as crazy, hardcore, or empty as it might have first seemed from the hamster wheel. Wow, 18 years old, Jonathan, that's incredible. So incredible, absolutely. All right, my friends, hey, your one action step this week, definitely go by, check it out, chooseabuy.com slash travel, and we'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less travel. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.